Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. We're here in Zoom land with my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher, and we have another special guest today coming all the way from College Station, William Villalobos. Well, how are you doing this lovely day? Doing good. Just a little one just went to daycare, so it feels weird having him away from home. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, Will, if you could share with the audience, and Matt, you've got a little one there now, so congratulations. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because it's, I mean, as a petroleum engineering student, I'm sure you've already got your hands full, and now you have a little one running around. Yes, so he's actually two months old now, and his name is Liam Oliver Villalobos. His initials are L-O-V, love, hmm. and Liam stands for the last four letters in my name, William, and Oliver was just a Google search. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <yeah. There> you <laughs> go. <laughs> my son's middle name is Morton, after Charlie Morton, the pitcher that closed out Game 7 of the World Series in 2017. So nice. it can be as meaningful as you want it to be. <laughs> that's so true. I was telling Will there last time, my middle name's Lee, and that's because my mom couldn't pick one and her friend just randomly picked Lee. And so that's how mine came about. So yeah. Anyway, I digress. However, Will, why don't you give a little bit of background? You're a senior petroleum engineering student attending Texas A&M, the Texas A&M for all the, you know, diehard A&M fans. But give us a little bit of background. Tell us about yourself, how you got into petroleum engineering, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so for my background, start with this. I was born in Lima, Peru, which is on the border of Brazil, kind of, Peru is, and raised in Winsboro, Texas, which is by Tyler or Dallas. Seeing my parents coming from Peru, being as doctors, their licenses wasn't able to transfer over. And so being in Winsboro, which is an oil field town, I essentially grew up with that environment. And yeah, so I chose petroleum engineering other than for the social and technical aspects of it is its area of operation. Petroleum is petroleum no matter where you go, which river part of the world. That was a, and plus the travel was a big incentive. And so that's why I chose that route from there. Okay. So you mentioned though, your parents, so their doctors in Peru came over and then what sort of part of the industry did your dad work in? Yeah. So my parents were doctors and then came to the U.S. with my brother and mom. And then when she remarried, she married an oil and gas businessman who had his old construction, oil field construction company. And so growing up with him, going to different locations, I eventually started working for him in high school and now developing pipelines and assembling surface facilities. And so, yeah, just the people that I've met, the equipment I even assembled hands-on. Yeah, no, I just found it intriguing. Yeah, no kidding. And so any particular reason you went to A&M or? I mean, if you Google petroleum engineering top schools, A&M is like number one, so that's probably a good reason. <laughs> Lots of and, Googling and, on your side. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons I thought petroleum engineering was good is simply because it's logistics. When you think about like the other petroleum engineering schools, well, name them, they're not as close to Houston, which is like the oil and gas mecca. And so when I talk to professors about that, that's something else they reiterate. So yeah. I mean, geographically speaking, it's right in the heart of, I mean, Texas, obviously. And then you're a stone throw away from San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, you know, West Texas is not too far 
So that definitely makes a good point, which ironically you say, can you explain why, or, you know, elaborate a little bit on, you said recently there was protesters on oil and gas at AM. That would have been the last place on earth that I thought would be some protesting. As a University of Texas alumnus, boom! I can't even imagine what a protest at Texas A&M is <laughs> just because people were protesting about the most obscure random things. And all. it was just like part of it. It was like, yeah, there they are. But at A&M, it, it probably stands out a little bit more. I, I don't know. Things yeah. may have changed. Yeah. So it was actually like two years ago and the protest was a global protest. And so I knew about that. And so when I first saw it on campus, I thought it was like some sort of prank or joke or something. And then no, the battalion, which is a newspaper publicized on it. And eventually after the protest, there was even signs left over, even at Butyl, which is like the little hospital that a has. And so like, I'd be like checking out my details and stuff and there'd be like, keep it in the ground and like uh, frack away from this, something like some stuff like that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, just that dialogue, seeing that around campus, even from students firsthandedly, when I was the chairman of IADC, I had a freshman stick her hand in my director's face as soon as she said that we're a professional oil and gas group. And so just that kind of rhetoric was some of the reasons why I chose to organize a summit at a for oil and gas. I mean, it sounds really interesting. Like you grow up kind of with the oil field around you, which I think is true of many of us where we had a family member or a friend or, you know, oil was never this like dirty, filthy thing. It was like a livelihood and you kind of understood how hard it was and you saw the value of what you're doing. And obviously there are a lot of people who are like, I fill up my car with gas and soon a windmill will do that or something like they're the disengagement is massive. And so like everybody keeps talking about how the oil field has this huge messaging problem. We do. And people not understanding like, you know, how much their lives improved through energy and that sort of thing. It's like, you obviously grasp that early on, but unlike many people who are just kind of writing off those other people, you're actually trying to engage. It sounds like. And that's what this summit is about, as I understand it. So I'd really like you to talk about, you know, you got inspired and tell us what this is going to look like from there. So credibility wise, I hosted a previous summit, HSC summit with Commissioner Christy Craddock. There's a prelude to that, why I organized that. But the summit I'm organizing now at A&M is called the Oil and Gas Environmental Summits from the Perspective of Academia, Regulatory and Industry Representatives. This summit is essentially focused about the reduction of carbon emissions, which is geared towards the reduction of flaring, employment and diversity, which is geared towards gender equality, and community involvement, which is geared towards an operator's social improvement of the community. And so my keynote speakers are the Texas Railroad Commissioner, Wayne Christian, who's going to talk about winterization, the Public Utility Commissioner, Will McAdams, who's going to talk about winterization from his perspective. Each of their perspectives are pretty interesting because they go hand in hand and blaming each other. <laughs> and for the panelists, Mr. Chang has Wall Street experience. He started his own company called Renner Energy. And Mrs. Dahl from NOB, the director of Low Cropping Technologies. Mr. Hendricks from Patterson ETI, president and CEO. Dr. Holt Tappel, who's a chemical engineer and faculty fellow. What's very interesting about him is he has a whole portfolio of ESG-related operations, such as like biogas, uh, desalination. It's a whole very wide list. I'm sure he would love to talk about more. Mm-hmm. So the conference, as far as I think you said, the date is March 11th? 
Yes, March 11th from 3 to 5, and then there's a happy hour from 5 to 6, and right in the lobby area. The location is at the Presidential Conference Center at Texas A&M, or the Bush Library. And yeah, I know from all the industry feedback that I obtained from my previous summit with Commissioner Craddock, I was motivated to do another one about ESG, which is more wide and bringing awareness to a wider audience, put it that way. I think that's fantastic. One of the things when we look at ESG and, you know, a lot of our frustration is centered around some of the vague definition of what is good. And not only that, but I think just everybody, I don't say everybody, but like there are a lot of people who want to solve these problems. There are people who want to reduce carbon emissions and there are people who want to be more responsible. But I think many of us fall into the trap of all or none you know, the people that are telling me to reduce my carbon emissions, really what they want is they want to shut us down completely and tell me what I'm doing is horrible. And it sounds like you're bringing together groups of people that are actually from their own different perspectives, as you allude to, looking to solve problems and they get to go to happy hour afterwards. So what's not to like? Yes. And so I mainly think about when it comes to technology, I see the risk adverse perspective towards that, but also if the technology has been tried and proven, I think that should speak for itself. So yeah, Dr. Holtapple, I wish I brushed up more on everything that he's going to talk about, but it was way over my head at the time. But yeah, no, if anybody does attend this from this podcast that was referenced from the podcast, Dr. Holtapple is a very interesting fellow. How would we sign up? If people are interested that are listening, how would we sign up and make sure we've got a seat? Yes. And so there's actually a website through this and I'm sure it'll be in the podcast. Show notes, notes. Absolutely. Yeah, I have the link. So what we'll do is we'll put it in the show notes. That way it's easy for folks to scroll through and just click on it and then can register from there. Yeah. And quick mention is that there's also a sponsorship packet on that website. And so uh, I often say if, if you want to support other student initiatives such as mine, I think that'll be a great reason to look into uh, looking into the packet to find determine the reasoning and not just IEDC in general, other student organizations. Something that I've learned through AM and from hosting events is that the underclassmen tend to look at the upperclassmen for just general life advice. And so having that big brother or big sister mentality and supporting that mentality passes that ideology to the next generation. And so that's another thing I'm hoping to do through this is oil and gas is not as bad as the media makes it out to be. And so, yeah, no, you have to find it for yourself. So, Right. So, and I mean, I think it's fascinating that you've taken on the initiative, Will. You know, being a student, you've obviously got your hands full with studying, maintaining grades. You've got a little kiddo now that's part of your life that keeps you busy. But, and you gave us examples such as the one where, you know, hand in the face, kind of us against the world you know, your Uber driving experience. I mean, you clearly have a passion for change or not just thinking about things, but really executing and putting in the effort to lead change or lead a movement that will certainly help the future of our industry. Where does that come from? And I mean, do you plan on taking that with you along throughout your career? I'm really curious because most students, you know, especially in undergrad, go to school, they want the grade, then they want to go out and make a bunch of money to, you know, satisfy their 
spending habits or whatever, but it sounds like you have a greater purpose for why you're doing this. And I'm curious where that comes from. When I was talking to an older lady, she was telling me that I must get it from my mom. So it's essentially, I always feel this dialogue in my head of what can I do to benefit society? Mm. And yeah, no, I just see that around my family, them being doctors, lawyers, engineers. Yeah, no, what else can I do independently from what they do? Hence why I chose a totally different career path than they did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, but I would say it's simply that dialogue that I have is what, how can I benefit society? Nice. No, and I think that's great. And if you take that with you throughout your career, I think you're going to see serious benefits from that. And it's, you know, a lot of people look at it as a job, but you're really trying to make change, which is fascinating. What are you hoping to do once you get out of school? Do you have any aspirations or sort of segments within the oil and gas industry that you're hoping to get into? So my first thought is I recently accepted my principal engineer position with a KEM group, parent company called Trans-Pacific Energy. And yeah, I'll be working two months on in Wyoming, two months off in Houston. Part of the reason I chose petroleum engineering was because of the travel. And so hence why those rotations like that is exactly why I signed up for what I signed up for. My aspirations is remote operations. So like Arctic jungle, mountains, wherever, even virtually, I guess, in this day and age. I'm open to that. I'm an adventurous individual, I would say. And so hence why I aspire to do things that people prefer not to do usually. <laughs> right. No, that's <laughs> a lot of opportunity in that for sure. I mean, hearing you talk, it just makes me sort of fun. I was very fortunate that I was overseas much of my early career and, you know, going to the jungle in Indonesia, drilling geothermal wells or wow. headed to, you know, countries I had to find on a map to figure out where they were before I left. There's a lot of adventure that the oil field provides, even in the U.S., you know, I'll say it, but like you've been to Appalachia, it's a whole nother place. You know, like it's not just the state, it's the nation, it's the part of the country, like the people, and you do it long enough. I mean, Justin is like an extreme networker, but I've just been around long enough and I think I've kept enough, been nice enough to enough people that they haven't forgotten me. And, uh, it's cool that, you know, 10, 15 years into your career, you realize all of these people that you're sort of connected to one way or another that would pick up the phone if you called. You're just getting started, but it's really exciting to hear you say those things. Thank you. And just like I was mentioning some of the positive influence that I'm wanting to promote out there. Can you tell me more about AAS drilling fluids and some of the latest and greatest operations that y'all have real quick? My gosh, the latest and greatest operation. I think Justin watches all those accounts, but <laughs> I mean, you know, what's really cool right now that, you know, you basically teed up, it's our podcast. So granted, we try not to be very commercial. We try and be technical and informative and then, you know, but we're really excited about our invert emulsion lubricant, which people will hear more about soon just by way of, it actually works. And I said in a previous podcast, I will not sell one until I have something that I believe in. And we, you know, people were saying, look, competitors are selling things, whatever. And we knew they didn't work. And then we got a thing. And so that's been really cool. And then I just got to say, like, I mean, look, we have great products, but our account managers, the way they take care of our customers, it's one of those, you're going to study reservoir, but if somebody becomes a drilling engineer, you know, what they say is don't skimp on drilling fluids and don't skip on directional. But like, I think our, the people we work with can really count on us to solve any problem if even if it might not be directly something we can affect, we try and get answers 
and we know that no one wants to wait on us. So like, we're careful about how we spend money. Like everybody is, but we have really great facilities to minimize response times. And, you know, you can have a really great toy, but the fact is we have these awesome people operating all that equipment and that's how, you know, it's done safely and quickly. But those are the first things that come to mind, but Justin, I think you need to answer Will's question also. So what, what would be your take? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting to note and Matt kind of touched on it is, I mean, we're the largest drilling fluids company that lives and dies by cutting sacks at the wellhead or at the hopper, sorry. And so one thing that we have to take extreme ownership and pride in knowing that everything that we do on, from the drilling fluid side, we don't have other business segments that you know, we can lean on to say, oh, we'll just you know do a decent job at this because we know we'll make it up at the back end. Everyone's from the top down, the vision aligns with you know top management, the board of directors, which is being the leading drilling fluids provider in North America at this time. And we're slowly making, you know, headways into other parts of the world. But what I think is fascinating is we all come from different companies. Like we've grown through acquisition. And what's really special at times when you acquire other companies, a lot of times the culture, it can get skewed because you have other cultures combining to, you know, create another culture. But what we've done is we've really kept this sort of this family feel, this real supportive kind of small community. And we've allowed each company that's been acquired and how we've grown to still operate in a way that made them successful in the first place. And it's really hard to do as you're growing a company. And we grew extremely fast, I think. So I started off on the Canadian side, came into the US in 2010, and we had a handful of rigs. We were the small, probably, you know, no one had heard of us. So, you know, going from there to now being arguably the largest drilling fluids provider in the lower 48, there was a lot of growing pains, but we managed to survive them. And one thing too, going through these downturns, I mean, we planned and we were, were small enough and we're nimble enough to be able to adapt to the market changes and then pack on a bunch of talent and still grow internally and gain more efficiencies to where now when we're coming out of this, we're set up to succeed versus still scrambling to try and, you know, basically pick up the bones <laughs> that were left behind during these challenging times. And then not a lot of people can say that. And I mean, we're publicly traded, so you can look at our financials. I financially, again, I think we're I mean, I know we're probably the strongest drilling fluids provider out there from a financial you know, strength position. So that allows us to reinvest into our people. It allows us to reinvest into our infrastructure, our services. We've come, Matt and his group came out with an analytics platform. I don't know any other drilling fluids company that has an analytics platform as powerful as the one that they developed in-house. Again, just doing amazing things with amazing people. And we have so much potential to grow. The sky's the limit. And we're all here to support each other. And that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I think a lot of companies have a challenge with is anytime you deal with salesmen, you know, egos get involved and everyone wants, you know, the biggest piece of the pie. But down here, again, like salesmen help each other, ops people help salesmen, salesmen help ops people. You know, I have the flexibility to, you know, provide services all the way from, you know, North Dakota down to the Gulf Coast if I want to. We're not put in a box. And our managers allow us to add value in ways that we see fit. 
Matt and I came up with a podcast idea and within 24 hours we hit the ground running recording podcasts. Like there's not too many companies that you get to do that kind of stuff. I could talk for hours about it, but that's again, why I think we're so special and why we're the best in the business. Yeah. And you touched upon this part too, is a camaraderie in the oil and gas industry. And mm -hmm. so that's what I meant by the social aspect that I grew up with. Yeah. And so Yeah. No, I feel like there's become a need to improve upon that. And so also the community involvement, having a, a positive influence for the communities that you operate in. Yeah, I feel like that needs to be improved upon by all three academia, industry and regulators. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so again, I know Matt mentioned too, hoping maybe to get up to College Station and I would certainly be excited to, to try and make it myself. I've never been to the college station or I've never been to Texas A&M campus. So with what you're doing up there, I certainly want to try and participate if I could too. So it'd be a pretty yeah. good time. Yeah, it is a very beautiful campus. My first thoughts coming from community college, it used to take me 15 minutes to walk from across campus. Now it's 15 minutes just to walk from one class to another. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely quite a sight if it's your first time. <laughs> Very cool. Been up there a couple of times. I had friends who went there. So even when I went to UT and, you know, we'd pop over and crash in somebody's dorm or so, I'm sure something we weren't supposed to be doing, but it's a really big campus. But I guess there's sort of this thing in my head where I thought like, I don't know what I thought, but now that I've been around and been out and about on campus and more daylight hours, speaking to <laughs> students, AAD meetings and, and different things like that, I've, the campus is quite beautiful. And, you know, the Irony, of course, is like all universities, it's like impossible to find a place to park. So normally I'll get there really early and then just kind of walk around. And it's pretty interesting. I'm sure it weirds people out because there's some old dude wandering around through campus that, you know, walking for the union or whatever. But I'm really fascinated by the way it's set up because it is actually a fairly pretty campus. I mean, Austin's a very beautiful city. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's pretty spoiled, but College Station's not a bad town at all. I will mention real quick that parking's free, at least for the attendance, and just make sure to register and we'll pass that ticket forward. Free so. parking and a happy hour. <laughs> Students dream, yeah. <laughs> what kind of role of that? Like, how are you able to get all these people in? I mean, it sounds like you know somebody, you know somebody, but you've been able to bring in some, like, it's sort of weird when I try and do conference stuff and I'm on the speakers committee for the AAD Fluids Conference and it's like, hey, can we get so-and-so? And I'm like, I could try and reach out, but I'm pretty sure they're going to assume I'm trying to sell them something and they have no idea who I am, right? Like I'm just, and then you talk to somebody who's been around a lot longer, way more connected and they know everybody and all this, oh yeah, sure. I'll be there. And I'm like, wow, that's much easier than what I was going to try. But how are you able to get connected with all these folks so that they would commit? Because I mean, these people I'm sure have very busy schedules and all that. Yeah. Like, what's your secret? Maybe other than saying I'm an Aggie, I'll explain the, IADC, the, the backing of IADC, the International Association of Drilling Contractors, I got some panelists from them, and also the backing of the part of Advanced Petroleum Engineering Department. They pulled some strings. And so uh, just a quick fun, fun fact is that the Public Utility Commissioner is an Aggie. So yeah, I know. I've been planning this out since my last summit last April. And so I had some time to establish some strings, put it that way. That's great. I mean... And that's one of those, I don't know, like when I see guys like you who are taking action and sort of responding to a problem that they see when they haven't even like had the chance to enter industry, but they know enough about it to like know there are problems that they could already help address. It's just funny to me because 
don't feel like I knew what I was doing in college. I felt, I think I was just kind of trying to survive, but at the same time, like there's a lot of things that even a few years out, I don't know, you, you're a man ahead of his time. I would say with respect to kind of seeing some things that will really not only help you professionally, but really help our industry. So thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I feel like mentioning when I was talking to some A&M affiliated people, even professors, they were saying that they've never had a student do this before, which is like organize a industry involved and even regulatory involved summit. And so uh, that felt kind of humbling to hear that. And also too, I think that's the biggest selling point is there's a student initiative. Like nobody told me to do this. It was simply mm-hmm. my own will of getting my questions answered. And so the positive feedback that I got from our first one, I decided to host this one. And so, yeah, I'm very looking forward to it. That's awesome. I mean, in your format, I think that's something that's helpful too, is if it was one reaching out to the other two or something like that, sometimes it's like, okay, I feel like you've got an angle, like, yeah, you're going to bring in academia, but you're going to bring in the professor that you know is going to support what you want them to say. Like there's, but, but when you're a student and you're saying, look, I'm just trying to bring everybody together it's a very safe place for everybody to speak their minds without worrying about offending the host or anything like that. It's, I think it'd be really refreshing conversation and I'm definitely excited about checking it out. Yeah. Especially the happy hour after it. And so I think that'd be a great way to not only improve your ESG insight, but just network. And so no telling where some connections can lead to. Yeah, man. Sounds great. Good deal. Well, Matt, I don't have any more questions for Will. Will, this has been an absolute pleasure. And thanks again for sharing information. We'll make sure and put the link in the show notes. And for everyone listening out there, I would encourage you to add Will to LinkedIn. I would imagine he's going to be posting on just, you know, about events that are coming up. I'm guaranteed this probably won't be the last event that he puts together. And again, we need this younger generation coming up and doing these awesome events to create you know, again, to just create awareness around all the stuff that we're doing and all the support that is needed for oil and gas. It takes everybody. So with that said, Will, do you have any closing last words or message you'd like to relay to the audience? Well, I hope everybody's having a good day. Message to relay to the audience. My first thought is when I was talking to some AM donors, they were saying, why even become a donor? And he felt he became inspired when he felt like the younger generation was being misguided. And so he said through the, his own support and his fellow supporter or donors, they were able to support some of the upcoming events at a from the student organizations. Mm. And so I would at least say to look into it, there are tax deductible options to donate for these causes. And so there's more information on the website and the link notes, if anything. Perfect. Awesome. For all the listeners out there, please, if you could share this episode, this is one definitely worth sharing. If you're in the College Station area, or if you know of anyone who you think might be interested, please send them this so that way they can register and get in touch with Will. And again, Will, thanks for your time and best of luck as a new dad. I know it can be all sorts of emotions and challenges and excitement and all the rest of it, but you know, it's good. And again, I commend you for that and congratulations on graduating here soon. And we'll certainly be in touch. Yes. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Will. Great meeting you. Nice meeting you. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth.
Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.